when someone asks you, when were you saved, what do you tell them? I want to read to you from Colossians chapter 2, beginning with verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who, say, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in trespasses and sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to an open shame by triumphing over them in him. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this his most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I now ask for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be heard as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent instrument to say all that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Help me to be very, very clear and very, very simple. And grant that this will be a life-changing word and a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most important questions that you can ask is, what happened when Jesus was crucified and when he was raised from the dead? You probably know about the old spiritual, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there? I have to tell you, had you been there, and saw the whole thing, you would not have known what actually was going on. Even if you'd been present in the garden tomb when Jesus was raised from the dead, you would not have known all that was happening. But that's what Paul tells us here, to know what actually took place. So there's basically two things you need to know. What happened when Jesus died and was raised from the dead? First, what happened to you? And second, what happened to the devil? Well, you know, we've often thought about how the crucifixion and the resurrection go together. Which would you say is more important? Or can you say that? It's like asking which was more important, the, the Passover or the Israelis crossing the Red Sea? The truth is they go together and you can't separate them. But you probably know a little bit of church history. Uh, we in the West 
uh, tend to follow the beginnings of the early church through the Latin theologians, like St. Augustine or Ambrose. And the result is we tend to emphasize the crucifixion. But if you were to go to uh, Greece, the Greek Orthodox, the Russian, Armenian, they emphasize the resurrection. The truth is they all go together. Now, why is this message today important? I'll tell you. First of all, it will give you a major clarification of what the Christian faith is all about. And that's what Paul is wanting to do. He's combating what we call today the Colossian heresy. Uh, nobody knows for sure what it was. Uh, a mixture of Gnosticism and Judaism and mysticism is all very strange. But what they wanted to do, above all else, get you away from thinking of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is making sure they come back and focus on the person of Jesus and what it was he did. And what he reveals to us today is what actually happened when Jesus was crucified and when he was raised from the dead. But there's another reason that this is an important word. If maybe there's someone here today, you are under attack, if I may put it that way. We call it an attack of the devil. Uh, there are times when the devil just attacks. How do you react? Well, the one thing I want you to see above all else is that the devil always overreaches himself. And he's done this always. You would think he'd learn. You'd think he would stop. But every time he attacks, it ends up making it worse for him. Well, I want us to see that today. Now, what's going on then, according to Paul, is not what you saw had you been present. And this is the wonderful thing. You don't need to have been present. Sometimes we feel, I know I've thought this, why wasn't I alive when all this happened? Wouldn't I be better off if I'd been present? The truth is only a handful saw it. The Christian faith is not based upon what you could actually see as if those that lived in those days had an advantage over us, they didn't have an advantage over us at all. Because all of this is revealed to us through Scripture by the Holy Spirit. And once you see this, you wouldn't want to trade places with anybody. Well, now, Paul begins with what I would call our pre-conversion state. So notice how he put it, and you, and why does he put it like that? He wants to get their attention. This is for people. This is our people that have souls. And you need to know something. You see, the danger is when it comes to the kind of teaching we're having today, it's a bit theological, I have to admit. If we're not careful, we become cerebral and detached. And Paul doesn't want that to happen. He wants this to be personal and very, very real. Well, the question is often put is, are people born with free will? It's a common expression, the free will of man. And there's a subtle distinction that I want to make clear and often forgotten. People just say, well, we are born with free will. No. God created man 
with free will, but that is before the fall. Uh, I referred to St. Augustine. I can give you a semester of theology in just one minute. You, would you like that? A whole semester in one minute. St. Augustine referred to the four stages of man. Stage one, before the fall, when God created man, able to sin. That's stage one, able to sin. And that is when we were given free will. But then after the fall, Adam and Eve listened to the serpent, partook of the forbidden fruit. And from that moment, it becomes the fall of mankind, and we all are in this. So we're not as Adam and Eve were created, but we are as Adam and Eve were after the fall, stage two, not able not to sin. Stage three, after conversion, when we've been born again, able not to sin. But then the fourth stage, when we're glorified, not able to sin. Now, I don't know if you can remember all that. First, able to sin. Then, not able not to sin. Then, able not to sin. And then, when we get to heaven, unable to sin. Because you'll be glorified. There'll be no sin. There'll be no temptation. There will be no pain. There'll be no disease. Not able to sin. But we today, you are either in stage two, where you are in a pre-conversion state. That means you're not able not to sin. And in that way, you do not have free will, or you would just choose to do whatever you want. You know, Jonathan Edwards wrote a book called The Free Will of Man, The Freedom of the Will. And his conclusion was, we are free to do what we want to do. Never forget this. We are free to do what we want to do. But what is it we want to do? It's always the same thing. We have a propensity to be sin, sinful. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No exception. And it is called original sin. Psalm 51. David said, I was born in iniquity, shapen in iniquity. He says in Psalm 58, verse 3, you come from your mother's room speaking lies. Have you ever thought about how you don't need to teach a baby to lie? Where did they get it? This is the way we are born. Uh, and then he says this, you are born dead. That's what he says, dead. Have you ever thought about that? Did you know you were born dead? He refers to your spiritual state. You're born spiritually dead. Have you ever touched a dead person? I have once. Many years ago, 17 years old. Although my mother for the previous two months had been prayed for by everybody, they anointed her with oil. One person said that they had prayed through that my mother would be healed and she died, never have got over it. And I remember walking to her casket. There she was, my mother. And I remember, though it were yesterday, I put my hand on her arm, and I wasn't prepared for it. It 
was stiff. And I put my hand on her hand. It was cold. And it was an awakening. She is dead. And I began to pray, Lord, raise her from the dead. He didn't. She couldn't hear me. She couldn't see me. Imagine talking to the dead. What if I were to announce, I want us all to go to a cemetery here in London and take the band and the singers and, you know, we're all there, microphones, big PA system, and I'm going to preach to the cemetery. You would think I was crazy. But are you aware that is literally what we do? So there are two categories of people here today. You are in your pre-conversion state dead, spiritually dead. And the reason you haven't come to Christ is you don't hear. You hear my physical voice. But Jesus used the expression, he that has ears to hear. Where does that come from? The only way a person can be saved is when, as the preacher speaks, the Holy Spirit comes alongside and enables you to hear the gospel. And so we must never forget this in our evangelism. You're talking to the spiritually dead. It's not going to help to shout at them, to moralize them and say, why don't you listen to me? You're going to hell. It's not doing any good. What needs to happen is that the Holy Spirit comes along. Jesus said, no one can come to me except the Father who sent me. Draw him. Well, now, there are a couple things we must never forget. The first is the total depravity of mankind, humankind. Does that offend you? This is the way we're born. There's an interesting verse, John chapter 2, verse 25. It says that Jesus did not commit himself to the crowds because he knew what was in man. Ever notice that verse? What is he getting at? He knows what we're like. He has full revelation. You and I don't know this, because we cannot see ourselves as we are until the Holy Spirit enables us to see that we're actually sinners. You can talk to the most evil person that ever lived, and I've had experience many times talking to those who have been evil in every way and ask them, why do you think you will get to heaven? And they would say, I, I, I've been a good person. And then they say that with a straight face. Why? They're blind what they are. But Jesus knew what was in man. It's an amazing verse. I, I often, I'd like to write a whole book on it. What is it that Jesus saw? Well, I can tell you, it's what we see little by little. It's like peeling the layers of an onion. And you see more and you think, oh, this is, this is awful. I didn't know I was like this. And you see more and you think, oh, my, oh. But that's only by the Holy Spirit. You take Isaiah the prophet. He had a vision of the glory of God. He saw the seraphim. They had wings, six wings, two with which to fly, two with which to cover their feet, two with which to cover their eyes. 
And they said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And it had an effect on Isaiah, who until then probably hadn't even thought about it. Now he said, woe is me. I am undone. You see, this is what the Holy Spirit does. Well, how does this come out of the text? Paul refers to being dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh. That's not referring to the physical body, but to the sinful part of the soul. And so when Jesus knew what was in man, this is man, women, all over the world. Are you aware of this? Everybody's the same. Everybody's the same. I don't care where you go. Uh, if you're English or if you're from Kenya or Nigeria, actually the Ghanans, they are cut above the rest. We don't include them, do we? No. I'm sorry. We're all sinners, whether from America or Japan, the Caribbean. We're all the same. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Well, now, what Paul does then is refer to the supernatural nature of conversion. He says in verse 13, God made us alive. How did he do it? It's by the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's called regeneration. It's called being born again. Now, there was a book written, How to Be Born Again. Let me ask you, would it make sense to write a book, How to Be Born? Ever thought about that? How to Be Born? Who would you give it to? <laughs> Somebody that hasn't been born? You want to tell them how to be born? The truth is, you were born and you had nothing whatever to do with it. Would you be offended if I told you that being born again is exactly the same? It is what God does. It is what God does. And so we are raised together with him. And that's when we're put in Christ. Never, ever underestimate the miraculous nature of conversion. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones used to say, the Christian is a person who is surprised that he's a Christian. In fact, Dr. Lloyd-Jones used to say, if you're not surprised that you're a Christian, chances are you're not a Christian. Because you're, you think, I've really been saved. This is amazing. I don't deserve it. Well, the question then is, what happened on Good Friday? According to Paul, he says, the forgiveness of all our trespasses, all our sins. And so if somebody asks you, when were you saved? Let me tell you the answer. One Friday afternoon, about three o'clock, just under 2,000 years ago, when Jesus of Nazareth uttered the words, it is finished. That's when I was saved. There's your answer. Actually, when he said it is finished, it's the English translation of the Greek phrase tetelestai. Tetelestai, it is finished. 
What you may not know is that tetelestai was a colloquial expression in the ancient marketplace that meant paid in full. So when you went to the store, if they had the equivalent of a rubber stamp, they would tetelestai, paid in full, paid in full, tetelestai. That's the last thing Jesus said. He's letting us know that the debt, huge debt, we owe to God has been paid. And so think of what you were like prior to your conversion and since, and to think that your debt has been paid. Uh, how did this happen? Well, according to Paul, the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Uh, what if you were in such bad financial shape, you owe money to the bank, and you have to go to the banker and say, I can't pay. The only thing left for me to do is to file for bankruptcy. And then the banker looks at your ledger and says, Someone came in and paid your debt. You owe us nothing. Would you not be overwhelmed? Do you realize the debt you owe to God? I want you to try to go along with me if I make a suggestion. Imagine you're holding a piece of cardboard, 12 by 18 inches. And I want you to imagine that you're holding it in your lap and you've got a pen and I want you to start writing out sins that you've committed in your pre-conversion state and in your post-conversion state. Now, when I think of my pre-conversion state, I was saved when I was six years old. I can't remember a lot of evil I did. It was one thing. I remember talking back to my parents. And when I got saved, I confessed that. I was ashamed. That was the, I was convicted. That's all I can remember. But if you want to know, and I pray to God, you will never find out what is on my record for the last 75 years. Oh, thank God you will never know. <laughs> But what I want you to do is now go along with me and don't look on the other person's lap. They don't want you to see. Write out in your mind sins that you've committed. Thoughts. Jealousy. Lust. Maybe it was something you pray to God nobody finds out. Maybe you had an abortion. Maybe you molested a child. Maybe you were unfaithful to your spouse. Maybe you ruined another person's reputation. You stole money. In your mind, start writing all your sins, those sins. And by the way, the devil has probably a better memory than you have. Oh, he has a good memory. 
He has a computer printout on your personality, pre-conversion past, post-conversion past. He knows. And he has a way of reminding you about 2 o'clock in the morning when you can't, you can't sleep. Because he knows. And I can tell you this. What is more, the Mosaic law can only condemn us. Here's what I want you to do. You take that cardboard. and If it were mine, I, I tell you, there would be so much writing and I have to, have to turn on the other side and write. I want you now to imagine you're going up to the cross of Jesus and go to that cross and nail that cardboard paper to the cross. Nail it. You see, what they did in the Roman world is to put on that cardboard paper the crime of the one crucified. Pilate put above Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. Uh, the authorities didn't like it. They said, no, don't say that. Say, he said he was the king of the Jews. Pilate said, what I've written, I've written. But I want you now to take that cardboard and put it just above the head of Jesus. Nail that to the cross and know that Jesus, who did no sin, even Pontius Pilate said, I find no fault in him at all. There was nothing they could say. We're told he who knew no sin was made sin. And are you aware of this? All of our sins were nailed to the cross. And so the next time the devil reminds you of your sins, you can say, shut up. Jesus died. The blood of Jesus washes away all sin. My sin, oh, the bliss of that glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. You see, John Newton, who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace, Amazing Grace wrote another one that's not so well known. It was a hymn to Jesus. It goes like this. Be thou my shield and hiding place that sheltered near thy side. I may my fierce accuser face and tell him thou hast died. And that's the thing. When the devil accuses you, say, Jesus died. Jesus died. Jesus died. You're covered. You're covered. And the wonderful thing is, it doesn't get better than this. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for 
me. You see, Jesus took, he took uh, all our sins. You see, here's the thing. We're told that God keeps records. Did you know that? God keeps records. As a matter of fact, listen to this verse from Malachi chapter 3, verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another, and the Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. You see, uh, it's a record of debts. Uh, God keeps records. <laughs> As the old spiritual put it, he sees all you do. He hears all you say. My Lord is a writing all the time. But what we know is that that record of debt canceled. Canceled. That's what happened on Good Friday. Canceled. Well, you see, we're told that when Jesus died, he took away the weapons of those that ruled in the satanic world. Hebrews 2.14, listen. Since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. That is what happened on the cross. Well, what you may not realize is that um, uh, Jesus put the devil and the demonic world to open shame. But also, it was the biggest backfire of Satan in all history. You talk about a back, backfire, greatest that ever was. Satan regarded himself as the architect of the crucifixion. Did you know that? He thought he did it. You know, it's a big issue, especially in Israel today, because Jews uh, get very uptight if you talk about who crucified Jesus. They want to say it wasn't us. But the, the Jews actually said, his blood be on us. The Jews did crucify him. But you could say, well, so did the Romans. Pontius Pilate, the soldiers. But Satan said, oh, no, I did it. He wants the credit. Well, he did. Here's the way it was. Satan thought everything was going according to plan. He entered into Judas Iscariot. And then the demonic world turned. So when Jesus wore the purple robe, Satan was rejoicing. When Pilate had Jesus whipped with thongs, Satan loved it. And when Jesus was carrying the cross and then fell beneath the load and someone else had to carry it, oh, it made Satan so happy. And then when Jesus was stripped naked in front of everybody, the devil says, good. And then when Jesus uttered the words, here's the funny thing, it is finished. Devil didn't have a clue what that meant. He took it to mean, oh, we got him. He's dead. And in hell, they popped champagne. And they said, we got him. We got him. We got him. Until Easter morning. And then they saw the worst backfire of all. The reverse happened of what they wanted. And according to Paul, 
that by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing the sins to the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to an open shame by triumphing over them. You see, Martin Luther used to say, the devil cannot stand ridicule. But that's what Paul is actually doing here. And you need to know about the devil. You say, but if they dealt with him, how come he bothers me? How come he tempts me? How come I can be under a satanic attack? Here's the answer. He is a conquered foe. The devil's like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, but he's a toothless lion. His roar is a bluff. Don't be intimidated by the roar of Satan, whether you're afraid of the dark or afraid of those people that are going to get you or that you might get found out. It's a bluff. And the day will come when Satan is completely dealt with. And I can tell you now, it's described in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's the future for the devil. He always overreaches himself. And so the crucifixion, which was his idea, God had a better idea. It was his way of defeating the devil dealing with our sins so that we are free. And the wonderful thing is, God knows the end from the beginning. You say, well, I wasn't alive when Jesus, how could he die for my sins? I wasn't there. Ah, he sees the end from the beginning. You were on his mind when Jesus went to the cross. And you can be happy you're living right now. Those who were there have no advantage over you. It's by the Holy Spirit we see what Jesus did for us. And so the resurrection... What happened when Jesus was raised from the dead? It ratified all that Jesus did on Good Friday. It vindicated Jesus as the Son of God. It vindicated all the teachings of Jesus. And Satan discovered on Easter morning how his architectural plan completely backfired. And so the next time Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of his future.